Well, good morning, everyone. You know, at some point in your life, every one of us in here has been off course at some time. I know you've been there. I've been there, too. And sometimes that off course is really just a little inconsequential, doesn't amount to much. Several years ago, I was living in Indianapolis, and at that time, our uh, two older sons were young uh, before they went into elementary school, and I was supposed to take them to an event, and this is long before GPS and cell phones, and so I said, ah, I know where I'm going. And so I went into Indianapolis, and somehow I got off on the wrong road. It must have been mismarked or something. I don't know. I got off on the wrong road, went down a one-way street, and in the meantime, my two boys in the back seat are starting to panic a little bit and wondering what's going on. And I get to the end of the road, and it's a dead end right in front of a factory. And my little boy in the back says to me, Daddy, he's almost crying. He says, Daddy, are, are we lost? And I said, No, son, we're not lost. I just don't know where I am right now. <laughs> so if you ever uh, get lost, don't ask a man for directions, because men do not ask for directions. And if you ask one, they're going to tell you, even if they don't know what they're talking about. Always ask a lady for directions if you're, if you're lost somewhere. Of course, you don't have that problem with GPS systems now. But sometimes when we get off course, it's a little more severe. I want to show you a picture of a lady, and her name is Sabrina Moreau. Sabrina was 67 years old, and on January the 14th of 2013, she was supposed to go to the Brussels airport. She lived in Belgium. The Brussels airport was approximately 38 miles from her house. And so she got out that morning. She was a little nervous. She wasn't used to driving very much. And so she put the coordinates into her GPS system, and she started driving. And so as she was driving to the airport, she thought it was a little longer than normal, but she kept driving. She ran out of gas. She stopped, refueled, kept driving, kept driving, kept driving. And this is actually the map that shows you where she went when she was supposed to go 38 miles from her home to the Brussels airport. She actually went through four different countries in Europe <laughs> looking for that Brussels airport. And she went through France and Germany and then Austria and Slovenia. And eventually, uh, the next day, she finally called home and said, I think I'm lost. Uh, do you think, huh? <laughs> Might have been a little more off course than just her driving. I don't know for sure, but she was 900 miles from her destination. And they ask her, didn't you see the signs? Didn't you realize you were, it was more than 38 miles from where you were supposed to go? And she said this, well, I saw the signs, but I didn't really pay any attention to them. I just was distracted, I guess. Now, that was a major inconvenience for her. But when we are off course spiritually, it's a much more severe issue and problem. And sometimes when we veer off course spiritually, God puts up signs. And he says, hey, Tom, you're going the wrong way. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure that's the right decision? And sometimes we just simply ignore those signs. The book of Titus, which we're going to talk about today, was a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was sent to a congregation in the place called Crete. Crete is a small island in the Mediterranean, and Paul and some of his friends and co-workers had established a church there, but Paul was an evangelist, and he didn't stay around too long. He wanted to go start another church somewhere else, 
And so, therefore, he left Titus to take care of things. And as Titus was uh, teaching and as he was the pastor of the congregation, after a period of time, there began to be a lot of problems in the church. There was dissension that had been growing and gotten more severe. Some of the ladies were having problems with one another. And uh, there was uh, false teachers that had arisen. And the false teachers were telling things that were heresies. And the congregation was pretty much in disarray. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to Titus to tell them, you got to get your act together. This is one of those books where he tells us exactly why he wrote the book. Look at Titus chapter 1. And verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Some of the translations say that you might correct the problems. Some of the, some of the translations say that you might straighten out what has gone wrong. In other words, it's time to get your act together. Now, to be sure, Crete was a difficult missionary feel. The people of Crete were not necessarily known as godly people. As a matter of fact, they were fairly ungodly. And some of this ungodliness has crept into the congregation and into the people that he was trying to reach. And therefore, he goes on to say in this letter, in verses 10 through 12, he gives some identification about the number of people that were there and what they were like. And he says this in verse 10, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. That was a group of people who had a Jewish background, and after accepting Christ as their Savior, they were insisting that everybody must maintain the Jewish laws and regulations of considering what you eat and considering the special days and so forth. For there are many, excuse me, they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain, charlatans. One of Crete's own prophets, this is one of their own guys, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now, can you imagine Titus gets up on Sunday morning, and he says, we have just received a letter from the Apostle Paul. Everybody says, great, hallelujah, we love the Apostle Paul. He was here at the very beginning. He helped us. He taught us a lot of things. What was the message that he told us about? What did he say about us? Well, he said, you're all liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Have a nice day. I'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> so we know that Titus has his work cut out for him. So this is the problem that the book of Titus addresses. And the problem is this. The people are straying from the principles and the doctrine that the Apostle Paul has delivered to them, and they're moving off course. So how do we solve the problem? Now, I'm talking spiritually now, not from the fundamentals of any other uh, off course you may be, because you can be off course in a lot of different areas. But spiritually, when we find ourselves off course as a congregation or as an individual, what do we do? And the Apostle Paul gives us some very direct things that can say to us, if you find yourself off course, here's what you need to do to get back on the right track again. Going back to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, he says this, the reason I left you is that you might put in order what was unfinished. And then he says, and appoint elders 
in every town as I have directed you. Paul gives these instructions to the church. He says, you need godly leaders. Appoint elders. It always starts with godly leadership. Now, elders are to be set apart, not for special attention, not so that they can have their own agendas, but elders are to be set apart because they have been given the responsibility of overseeing the flock along with the staff and helping us to maintain sound biblical doctrine, a sound foundation upon which we can build our spiritual lives. The qualifications for elders are given in the section right below that, and I'm not going to read it all to you. But when we look down through those qualifications, it's interesting to note that none of the qualifications have to do with popularity. They don't have to do with social standing or economic standing. They don't even have to do with giftedness. You would think they would. All of those characteristics have to deal with character. Character. The fruit of the Spirit he's talking about. Elders must be those individuals that are filled with the fruit of the Spirit because they do not gain their authority from their position as elders. They gain their authority because of their character. Carol and I have been part of this congregation for the last 18 months. And one of the things that deeply impressed us when we first began to worship with you is the quality and the godliness of the staff and the leadership of your elders. Fantastic. These are people who have you at heart. These are individuals who will sacrifice for you. They will go the extra mile for you. These are individuals who have a prayer life that is exemplary. These are individuals who say, what do I need to do to help you along your journey of faith? We are absolutely blessed with great staff leadership from the pastor on down and from our elders. Don't you agree with me on that one? We are blessed with that kind of leadership. So the first step in congregational help is always to appoint godly leaders. But now what about me? I'm, not, I'm part of the congregation, but what about my spiritual life? What if I get off course? Well, the same principle applies to us. If we get off course spiritually, we need godly people that we can go to and we can trust and we can believe in and that we know they have sound doctrine. We know they're going to tell us the truth. We know they're going to love us. We know they're going to be there for us confidentially. And that way, when we do get off course, we have an individual that we can go to to help us. So what do we do once these congregational leaders are appointed or once you identify somebody in your circle of influence that you trust greatly? In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, the first thing that we have to do is this. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Once there are godly leaders, once there are people in your life that you have trust in, we now look to build a foundation, a spiritual foundation, and that spiritual foundation is found in truth. Now, I know that in our society right now, truth is on a pretty slippery slope, isn't it? (laughs) What is truth? You heard that probably from someone over the last year or so. What is truth? And we don't know a lot of times. But as Christians, as believers... You and I must believe that absolute truth is found in Jesus Christ and his word. Absolutely. And therefore, we have to measure all truth 
by how it lines up with the scriptures, how it lines up with the principles that God has given to us in his word. If you have a faulty foundation and you're building a house, it's not going to be long before that house is going to be in major disrepair. If you have a faulty doctrinal foundation in your spiritual life, it won't be long until you'll be getting off into all kinds of heresies and errors and all kinds of issues. Our mission here at Harborside Church, which you'll see in a lot of our publications and things of that nature, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, our worship services, therefore, our preaching, therefore, our connect groups, you know, our missions trips, our activities, the prayer vigil we had last night, they are all designed with one thing in mind, to lead us into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we are here for. So personally, we have to ask ourselves, am I growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Think about your life five or ten years ago. Are you stronger in your faith now than you were five or ten years ago? A lot of times it's like growing physically. You don't notice the impact immediately. But when you look back on a picture five years ago, which we don't like to do when we're my age, because, you know, what has been. When you look back on it, you can see how you've changed. Well, spiritually, we should be able to look back ten years ago and say, I have become more mature now Because I have been involved in the activities that God has placed in our opportunities here at Harborside Church. So if we're going to have a healthy church, we need godly leaders. If you're going to be healthy spiritually, you need godly people in your life that can tell you the truth. We need to build that foundation on doctrine. Now, that's the easy part. (laughs) Believe it or not, here comes the hard part now. And that is this. How do we take these biblical values that we believe are 100% true, how do we take these principles of Scripture, how do we take God's Word and apply it to our day-to-day activities of life? That's what Titus chapter 2 and 3 are all about. Chapters 1, he sets the pace. Appoint godly leaders and allow them to help you in understanding doctrine. But if you stop at that point, you're not there yet. Because there are people who come in and know doctrine and can say the right things, but they walk out and their lives are not changed at all. It makes no difference in how they live their life. I don't want that to be you. God doesn't want that to be you. And so he gives us these directives in chapters 2 and 3 of Titus that says, once we come to know Christ, we understand that now there's got to be something that we do with that information and that we have to apply it to our life. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that we are saved by works. I want you to hear that very clearly. I'm not saved. We're we're not saved by the righteous things that we do or whatever we do. We're not. The scriptures in Ephesians says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not saved by works. But once we have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, now he says to us in Titus 2 and 3 and in many other sections of Scripture, now that that has happened in your life, your life should be different now. Robert Fulgham wrote a book uh, some years ago called Everything I Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. You ever heard of that book? Well, some people took that as a mandate to drop out of school early, but that really wasn't what he had in mind. 
what he was saying was, there are some very simple things you learn in the very early stages of your life that carry with you all the way through your life. Be kind to other people. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Don't steal. Uh, don't hurt. You know, the, the typical things that one would learn in life. Well, in Titus chapter 2 and 3, he says, here's some simple things. And when you hear these, you're going to say, of course, we know that. These are simple things that he says as Christians, as believers. He says, if you will apply these things to your life, you can live a life that will affect every decision that you make and be pleasing in my sight. Now, first, let's look at some things that he says to us. And these are all given in these two chapters, but I'm just going to give you a synopsis of it. He said, here's some things that you should do. Be self-controlled. That's the ninth part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so forth. The last one is self-control. Four times in these chapters, he says to people, be self-controlled. Why does he put that at the top of the list? Because if we are making decisions by our emotions, if we're making decisions by popular opinion, if we're making decisions by anything other than guided by the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, we have a tendency to move out of focus with God. So be self-controlled. Then he says to us, show integrity. Love your family. Can anyone disagree with that? Be worthy of respect. Be trustworthy. Be kind. Obey your leaders. Be a good worker. Be sound in love and persevere. Those are obvious things that he says to us. These are things that should be in the DNA of every Christian believer. These are things that we should do. They don't save you, but because we are believers, this should reflect our lifestyle. And then he says there's other some things that are negative. These are some things that maybe we shouldn't do. He says to us, don't be a slanderer. They were having problem in this church because certain people were slandering others. It's easy to get into that habit, isn't it? Don't be a slanderer. Don't get drunk. That should be obvious. Don't steal. Don't be divisive. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Avoid foolish arguments. All of those things, he says, are things that should not be part of the Christian lifestyle. Now, how do we live this out? Let's take a look at Titus chapter 3. I want to read from verses 3 through 8. So, following the progression, he says to us, appoint godly leaders, be sound in doctrine, and now this is how we apply it to our lives. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, he begins by telling us what we used to be like, what our characteristics used to be. And he says, at one time, you, at one time, we too, he identifies himself. We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Those might not be specifically the way you were before you came to Christians, but they are representative of people who do not have Christ in their life. But, here's the good part. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things. We're not saved by works. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His great mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, this is the way you were, this is what Christ has done for you, now you're justified, now what should you do? We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So why don't we always do what we should? Why, like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, when he says, you know, I know I should do that, I didn't do it. I know I shouldn't do that, but I did it. Why is it that these things are so simple and they should be so obvious to us as believers that we don't always carry through on it? Well, there are at least two reasons for that. One of the reasons is that we're human and that as human, no one is perfect. And therefore, there are times we, make flaw, we have flaws. There's times we make bad decisions. There's times we go in the wrong way. But when we get off course, God puts up all kinds of signs and we don't ignore them like Sabrina did we say, oh, well, wait a minute, that's the wrong way. I need to move back on course. But there's a second reason why there's times we don't follow these. We live in a society where there are literally millions of wonderful Christian believers, people who believe in the Word of God as their standard of living, people who have committed their life to following Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to have those kind of people. But... We also live in a world where there are millions of other people that are intermingled with us that do not share our core values. There are millions of other people who may even make fun of who we are and what we believe. They may even call us names for whatever reason. And so, therefore, we live in a society where, yes, there are wonderful people here, but there are also people who say, I don't believe in Christianity. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, in uh, the time that Paul was writing this letter, he says, By the way, Cretans, you're probably going to go out tomorrow and you're going to find some people who are liars. You're going to find some slanderers. You're going to find some people who are gossipers. You're going to find some people who might steal from you. But be a good Christian witness anyway. When you leave the sanctuary and you go out into the workplace tomorrow or you go to your school tomorrow or you have an extended family or social events tomorrow, there's going to be people who are saying to you, Oh, it's okay. You don't, don't worry about that. You can do that. Don't have to worry about that. Oh, that's okay to fudge a little bit. It, you know, everybody lies. It's okay to do that. Why? Even if you have to cheat a little bit, that's okay. And if we're not careful, the infiltration of that mindset comes down into the life of a believer, and we slide out of focus we slide off course a little bit because of that influence. There are some things our society accepts as normal that we as believers say we cannot condone that. It's not that our society is so horrible, but there are certain things that our society would say, this is fine, this is okay. But as believers, we would say, ultimate truth is found in the Word of God that does not line up with scripture and therefore even though you may think it's fine and okay I cannot follow down that road because that's not where I'm going so our challenge now is to do this 
Our challenge as believers is that we live our life in such a way that we become a shining light to other people and that we influence them for the gospel rather than allowing them to get us off course and off focus and move away from what we know to be true. Okay. So what happens when we surround ourselves with godly people? What happens when we have our doctrine down, we understand what we're doing? And what happens as we begin to show forth the love of Christ in everything that we do in following his example? Do you like a story with a happy ending? Okay, some of you do. Three of you do. That's good. This is a story with a happy ending. And he tells us exactly what happens with that. We look back at verse 8. And he says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. When you begin to follow that, when you begin to live in what God wants you to do in your lifestyle, we live in the realm of blessedness. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. We find joy in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We find a peace that passes all understanding. We find forgiveness in our heart that we didn't even know existed. We find a kindness in us, even for those people who are against us. We find an ability to live in the blessedness of what God has done for us. And guess what? It says, this is not only for you. Christianity is never just for you. It says, this is profitable for whom? Everyone. So when we live in the realm of blessedness, we become a blessing to other people. We become a blessing to our family because of the way that we treat them and love them and respect them. We become a blessing to our employer because we are a workman that needeth not be ashamed of what we do. We become a blessing to our economy because we become a contributor to society rather than a taker from society. We become a blessing to our congregation because we are involved in the ministries and the outreach and the activities of the church, and therefore we're encouraging and supporting one another. But most of all, we become a blessing to God. And he looks down upon us and says, well done, my son, my daughter. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you in here have had another person, another person, give you either spiritual instruction, pray for you, walk with you through a tough time, give you an encouraging word spiritually? How many of you in here have had someone who has had a blessed life bless you in that way? Let me see your hands. How many of you have had that happen? That's everybody. Now, in the same way we have been blessed, we are to bless other people. We cannot hold Christianity as a lone ranger. We have to be in the community of faith, expressing the blessedness that we've received. Verse 14, the last one that we have here. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. The second blessing is this. We live a productive life. Wouldn't it be terrible to get to the end of your life and say, I've lived X number of years, I've eaten every day, I've slept at night, I've done all these things, I've been a nice guy, but I've only lived for myself and my own family. I have never reached out and blessed anyone else. 
I have never been a blessing to them. I have not lived my life in such a way that people know what I stand for. My life has basically been rather unproductive. Acts 1.8 says to us that we are to be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. We are to live our lives in such a way that we are a witness to other people. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is so important, we can never diminish it with an ungodly lifestyle. He was born on October the 18th, 1939, New Orleans, Louisiana. He grew up in a very poor home. He was always looking for love and acceptance, but he never found it. He never knew his dad. His mother was a single mom, had to work all the time. He said, I never heard her say, I love you. I never heard her give me a word of encouragement. She really had no time for me. So he thought, maybe I could find love and acceptance in school. He went to, because his mother moved around 22 different times when he was a child, he went to 15 different schools. He never found love and acceptance in a school. The girls always shunned him. The guys always made fun of him, and the teachers always just uh, tolerated him. So he dropped out of school in the 10th grade and said, well, maybe I can find love and acceptance in the workplace. But he never found it. He kicked around with various jobs for a period of time, never really finding anything that was satisfying or uh, important for him or never felt important. So he said, I'm going to join the Marines because that's the spirit of core people. That's the people that I can really find as a family. I can really know, you know who I am. I'll find acceptance there. So he joined the Marine Corps, but he didn't find it. He rebelled against authority, and it wasn't long before he was getting in fights and having all kinds of problems. And eventually he was dishonorably discharged from the Marine Corps. So he decided, oh, I know what it is. The problem is the United States. I'm going to go to a communist country. And if I go to a communist country, I'll be okay there. I'll be loved and accepted there because everybody's the same there. But when he went there, he, didn't find, he found out that it was actually the same thing as it was here in America. And as he did that, he decided that he was going to go back home. And he met a lady, and six weeks later, they were married. Because they were looking for two different things. She was looking for a ticket to the United States... He was looking for love and acceptance. She got her ticket to the U.S. as they moved back. He never got love and acceptance. His wife never really accepted him, never was very kind to him. Their marriage was rocky, and it got rockier as life went on. And eventually she told him to get out. She didn't want to ever see him again. You may recognize his picture here. This is Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald, a man who never found love and acceptance anywhere in his life, on November the 22nd, 1963, he took a rifle and went to the top of a Dallas, Texas book depository and shot and killed the President of the United States. The man who thought he had nothing tried to kill the man who he thought had everything. How does this tie into the gospel? The gospel message of Jesus Christ is so important, we cannot diminish it by our lifestyle. What if Lee Harvey Oswald had seen someone who was exhibiting the characteristics of Titus 2 and 3 and said, I don't know what you have, but you're different than me. How do you have such peace? Why are you such joyous in the midst of all these problems? Wouldn't you have liked to have said, let me tell you, Lee, how you can really find love and acceptance and how I found it in Jesus Christ? Because real love and acceptance may not be available in your family or your job or your work or wherever, but it's always available in Jesus Christ. 
There are all kinds of Lee Harvey Oswalds walking around this community. They're looking to see what your lifestyle is. They're looking to see how you live your life. They're looking to see if you're on course. They may not say it, but they're asking it within themselves. What is it about that person that's different than me? We are to be witnesses, and we expand our witness by the way we live our life. Would you bow your heads with me? Our prayer partners are going to come forward. And as they come forward, you may have something that you'd like to pray about. These are those godly people I was talking about earlier in our service today. These are people who care about you, who are here for you. They're willing to befriend you, to pray for you. Maybe it's a situation where you've never really accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And this might be the day when you say, I want that kind of life. May it be a day when you say, you know, I've... I've accepted Christ, but I've kind of gotten off course a little bit, and I'm not really following the course I want to be on. I'm ignoring the signs. Could you help me understand how to get back on course? It might be something totally different that we haven't even talked about or broached this subject this morning. Maybe you're hurting today because of the loss of something in your life, and you just want somebody to pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for this congregation. We thank you for godly leaders who help teach us sound doctrine. We're thankful that they help us not only to know sound doctrine, but how to apply it to our lives. And Father, we recognize and readily admit to you that we've all gone off course at some point in our life. We've all taken some kind of a spiritual turn the wrong way. But we ask you today, in the name of Jesus, keep us on track. Keep us on course. Keep us in the center of your will that we might present to you heart of wisdom, and in doing so, that we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ with any who seek and ask for the joy and hope that is within us. Amen.